electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The bounce for stocks after retail sales beat. City crushes estimates. Some on the Fed say not so fast to those suggestions of a 100 basis point move. In just a couple of weeks, we debate all of that and what all of it means to your money today with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour, Brenda Vangelo, Jason Snipe, Josh Brown, Rob Seijan, who's right here at Post 9 with me today. Let's check the markets, give you a look at this strong day. We do have near 600 points for the Dow today. See across the board, we do have nice gains. The uh, 10-year note yield uh, under 3%, got it at 291. Uh, Again, retail sales were beat. Uh, Rob Seijan. Thinking about what we learned this week, and maybe it's at the end of the week here. Earnings are challenged, of course, but not not horrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, The consumer remains pretty robust. And there's this growing debate now over what the Fed is going to do in a couple of weeks. How do you see the landscape here relative to what you've seen most recently? Yeah, I would say today you had a Goldilocks environment, better growth, uh, lower inflation, as evidenced by the retail sales, University of Michigan. There was a bunch of other data that came out. But let's remember, a lot of that's really sensitive to gas prices, especially on the inflation side of this. I do think that takes 100 basis points off the table for July. Um, You know, we could still have 75 in September and then later in the year, who knows. But our view is that the data has to get worse before before things get better in the market. Most specifically, um, you have to have the Fed have an opportunity to pivot in some way. It doesn't have to be dramatic. So we still think this is a this is a rally strength to sell into Mm -hmm. and that uh, we're still in a downtrend. And ultimately, you'll get an opportunity at lower levels to kind of reload your gun. What a couple of days, uh, Jason Snipe, for this Fed talk and tea leaf reading. Uh, Bostic had this bombshell. Yeah, everything's on the table. Then all of a sudden, God, I feel like almost every Wall Street bank came out and said, yeah, we, we see 100 basis points. I talked to some people in overtime yesterday, money managers. Yeah, we see 100 basis points. Waller kind of talked people off the ledge on that. Bullard today, uh, over the next 18 months, inflation could go back to 2% if the Fed plays its cards correctly. He's skeptical that we fall into a recession. He's more in the 75 basis point camp. Uh, where are you? Yeah, Scott. So I think obviously the softness in the rhetoric uh, is obviously helpful to the markets. I think as we looked at really hot PPI numbers, hot CPI numbers, and now retail sales this morning, you know, which was a beat. And I think if you if you remove auto sales and gas, I mean, it was a 60 basis points uh, beat there. So I think that that was a catalyst for some of the strength that we have today. You know, for me, when I'm thinking about monetary policy going forward and, and thinking about what the Fed will decide to do in the next two weeks, I think they do move 75 basis points. And I think they'll do 75 basis points in September. You know, and I think that's when they'll pause potentially. We'll see how the market unfolds, you know, throughout the rest of the summer. But as we talked about earlier in the week, 
you know, uh, looking at commodity prices starting to uh, roll over some. But I think shelter costs is a, is a really big one for me. Looking at housing mm -hmm. is, a, is a major one for me. So let's, let's see how those numbers uh, start to look over the next couple of quarters. And then we'll kind of I think that will play really heavy into what the Fed decides to do. All right, Brenda, I mean, this was in, in, in uh, many ways, as I've said uh, on Twitter, this was a farmer Jim number, right? Um, he is the one who has been telling us, you guys are getting it wrong. You're too negative. The consumer is still strong. Uh, he doesn't see a recession like so many others do. And again, we, we've been so, you know, falling into this belief that we're going to have a, a recession imminently. And maybe that's premature. Um, how, do, how do you see what the market's going to do from here? Yeah, I think certainly this week we've gotten a lot of data points suggesting that the consumer is healthy and it started with a lot of the bank earnings and just, you know, notes especially with JP Morgan saying even the lower income consumer is still consuming and spending and consumers are taking on a little bit more credit card debt. I think that's okay right here and now because their balance use are still so healthy. But I think it's been so easy to get mired in the negative, uh, the negative environment, particularly with the inflation numbers that we've seen, and having and assume that the consumer is really hurting and not able to spend. But then we've seen this week they are still spending, um, and I think that's really important for the economy because you know in the U.S. the consumer is just such an, a gigantic driver of GDP growth. So I think when we look at this environment, uh, I won't say I'm as bullish as Farmer Jim, uh, but I will say that I feel like it's easy to get too mired in the negativity and not really recognize that beneath the surface, things are actually still really healthy. Um, so certainly, could they be, um, could they um, degrade from here? Absolutely. Uh, but here and now, things are still quite healthy. And so I think that bodes well, uh, both for current trends, um, and for corporate earnings here, of course, we're going to hear more over the coming weeks, and that should give us more insight into what's actually happening and what companies see coming down the pike. Well, all right, let's bring in downtown Josh Brown, because Fundstrat's Tom Lee, who, by the way, is going to be in overtime with me today, says, despite a flat-out bad June CPI, Fed officials sound measured versus expeditious, arguably enabling equities to see less bad. That's, that's from Tom Lee. And it's so funny. I did reference, Josh, these calls from the street on 100. Sockgen says 100. RBC, 100. City, 100. Nomura, 100. Piper Sandler, 100. Waller says not so fast. Bullard says not so fast. And maybe the market today says not so fast. Uh, yeah, I look, I think this, I think the, the price action right now has to be respected to some extent, right? If we talk about we're using price as a guide to understand what the environment is, then one thing I would like to point out on the positive side is if the month were to end right now, and I understand we're halfway through, but humor me, um, we would be NASDAQ plus 5.5%. would be one of the best months, maybe the best month for the NASDAQ this year. Uh, S&P up 3 and a quarter, and Dow up just under 3%. So there's a long way to go, but it has to start with a month where the news is not great, but stocks stop going down. The bank, uh, the reaction to the bank earnings this morning is really interesting. These were not good reports by any measure, uh, but the banks are ripping. And even the banks that reported yesterday that were, quote, disappointments, they're rallying now today. Um, so I think that that's worth paying attention to. Uh, but again, one of the fastest ways to grow broke on Wall Street is to look at one day's market action and completely change your mind 
over and no over doubt. and over again. Now I'm bullish. Now I'm bearish. So I, I don't want to extrapolate too much, but I, I, would, I would point out the following. We are rejoicing because retail sales are up 1% and consumer confidence had its first uptick all year. Consumer confidence is still measuring 51, which is hovering mm-hmm. one point above the all-time record low we made last month. It's not like a major improvement. Uh, it's really maybe just a consolidation after a very rapid well, you don't decline. Want to, you know what? So, Let me stop you for a second. Let me stop you for a, qu- a quick second. I want you to opine on this. Maybe Rob Seachin's point of this Goldilocks number is, is right. You don't want major improvement because that would perhaps make the Fed have to be more aggressive. You, you want people to be tempered with their enthusiasm. You just don't want them to be falling off a cliff, which would suggest recession maybe more imminently than some need you you feel me on that at all yeah it's like uh like threading a needle you know how hard that is to do with monetary policy like we're we're asking for the fed to engineer enough demand destruction so that things calm down and prices cool off and wages cool off and rents cool off but not so much demand destruction that we, we send the economy into a downward spiral. Yes. You're, I mean, look, w- with all due respect, um, you're asking the Fed to do laparoscopic surgery on the wings of a fly, and the tool that they have to use is a shotgun. So good luck, I suppose. Uh, it's very hard to do. They've almost never been able to do it. And it's okay, though, because I, as I've said, We've been in recessionary conditions in the stock market all year. By the way, just to give you a sense of like how, how dire, there are 21 companies in the S&P 500 that are within zero to 5% of their highs. Just 21 out of 500. 10 of those yeah. are healthcare, eight are consumer defensive, two are consumer cyclical, one is tech. That's it, that's it. So every other stock has gotten the memo. So it's not like all of a sudden, Oh no, the Fed put us into a recession and it's a surprise. So we've done a lot of we've done a lot of that work all year, almost mm-hmm. 7 full months now pricing this in. So to Rob's point, yeah, it's okay if the news gets a little bit worse. I don't know that that necessarily means that the price action has to match it in a linear fashion. We've had a well, lot of negative add, price action. Let me bring this up. Let me bring up some price action that that um, I think is worth talking about for sure. Apple it's like a quiet run. The stock was at 150 earlier today. 150 it was up 2% yesterday. It's up 9% this month. Um, what do you make of that? that? That's certainly something I think to keep your eye on. Well, you have to, to Josh's point, you have to pay attention to the price action. And we've seen positive price action in technology stocks this month. But you have to ask yourself why. And the reason why is because real rates have gone down. Okay. And we think that ultimately the Fed's still going to have to stay engaged. We remain in a downtrend. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And while the price action over the last two days is positive, yes, pay attention to it. But what about the price action in Apple? I mean, the, the message, if any, in that, the, the, consumer strong. the importance 
let's say that better, the importance right. of it to a the still fragile market? Yeah, well, it's, it's a large constituent of just about every index out there. So, yes, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, all these names that, uh, you know, are important to markets simply because of the, the construction of markets and the way that investors invest today, which is through indices, Naturally, that's important and you should pay attention to it, but you still have to step back and say, okay, why? And let's remember that these companies have an enormity of exposure to overseas earnings. I get right? you, right? FX, currency, I, right? I hear you. it's so, one of the principal things. You, you have, you know, you've got ad spend issues, you've got enterprise and mm -hmm. IT spend issues. But and, and you don't have the tailwind, Scott, of stay at home all the COVID trends that really saved these last time. And by the way, these stocks traded a huge premium to the market mm -hmm. when they don't always, right? And a huge premium to history. So if you have rates continuing to be pushed up, listen, we own them. We own them in, in, the, in a quality way, but you just got to be mindful of being overweight. I think that's dangerous. Jason Snipe, you know, for an Amazon, for example, Rob's, you know, we're talking big tech. Rob was mentioning some of the beneficiaries of, of stay at home. Barclays says there, we think there's a decent chance for Amazon to print a better than feared third quarter guide and we would add selectively into the print. I mean, stock's been a um, major disappointment. I don't need to tell you, you own it, as do others on the committee here. But how about Amazon as one of these players in, in big tech, tech in, a, in a landscape that's challenged? Yeah, so what's interesting about Amazon, I mean, they're just coming off their largest prime day ever. Uh, just just last week. Um, so when I when I think about that name and I think about just the just the space in general, I think if, if you're looking from, you know, the mid midpoint of June when, you know, we were really trading at our lows, um, you know, a lot of a lot of tech was oversold. And I think Amazon, you know, as a relation kind of uh, some of the labor expenses that they've had over the last quarter. I think they're starting to figure that out, you know, as we figure out this kind of this supply chain malaise that they're coming out of. So I think um, there, there are parts of tech, especially quality tech, uh, that there's an opportunity. And obviously growth has gotten a bid over the last month, as Josh said. I mean, the NASDAQ, you know, so far this month, if it's closed, you know, is up, is up 5% for the, for the month. I mean, so I think Amazon has played into that as well as a lot of the other uh, mega cat tech names. So, Brenda, you own Amazon as well. Um, are you as optimistic as Barclays seems to, to sound here? I mean, it's not like they're raging bulls, obviously, but better than feared uh, is important in the kind of market that we're in. Right. And I think if we look at the landscape of large cap tech names, I think Amazon is really interesting because this is a company that for years had just plowed tons of money into their business, building out infrastructure, and that created a lot of uncertainty at times with earnings and margins. But here we are in an environment where they've said essentially they've overexpanded. So I think we may be in for a new era with Amazon where they're perhaps not just plowing quite as much money back into the business. And maybe we actually see some margin expansion, uh, more meaningful margin expansion. And so I think that's a really differentiated story in this environment, even given all the headwinds as we've been talking about. But the fact that the consumer has still held in there and is continuing to be strong, and the fact that Amazon has this very specific uh, story here where they may perhaps not be spending quite as much building out infrastructure, I think that makes it more interesting. And it's also underperformed for the last two years. Uh, so I think I think at the group, this is the one that we think is really the most interesting. Okay, uh, Josh, Dan Ives of Wedbush today says, we believe enterprise demand in areas such as cloud and cyber are holding up much better than feared. 
Uh, by the way, Ives on overtime with me as well. Uh, just a reminder, we got Dan Ives, Tom Lee, and some others I'll tell you about uh, a little bit later. But Josh, you've got Amazon, you got Apple, you got Alphabet. Give me your thoughts here. So the, the, the bad news for the large cap technology companies is they are not at, they have not gone down as much as the overall market. I know that sounds like it's good news, but hear me out. In phase three of a bear market, the generals get slaughtered. This, this happens every time. It's not negotiable. So the stocks that have held up the best eventually catch down. Um, and that's actually essential before you can, can really form that bottom uh, and move higher. And they, really, the market is absolutely they? indis. They came for them, uh, right? Somewhat. Like Meta, Meta and Netflix, absolutely. They're both cut in half, for sure. Um, but there's a, there's a fundamental reason why this might be the first quarter in the history of Facebook um, or Meta, whatever you want to call it, with, uh, with, with negative sales. Like, that just has not happened before. Amazon, uh, last time, reported negative sales uh, for, for uh, the, the online shopping group. And that might be repeated again this quarter. So there's like a reason. It's not just, you know, magic, like, oh, let's hit those stocks. But I would point out, like, Apple, 18% of its quarter is supposed to come from China. Anybody feel good about that? Uh, anybody think that a ton of people in the midst of the worst inflation ever are plunking down $2,500 to buy a, a new MacBook this past quarter? Do we think tablets are going to be good? So, like, the headwinds are fundamental. They're not stock market uh, witch wizardry and witchcraft. And that's what's so challenging about this environment. But, again, the good news is that's how bear markets usually conclude. Um, and we're, we're getting close. So, look, look at Berkshire Hathaway. I own the stock. This is incredible to me. 80 days ago, Berkshire Hathaway made an all-time high. 80 days later, yesterday, Berkshire Hathaway made a 52-week low. There's only two other times in history where Berkshire Hathaway has printed a 52-week low within 80 days of, of an all-time high. 1987 and the 2020 COVID uh, flash crash. Like, this is historic beatings of very big market cap, very quote-unquote conservative blue chip stocks. And I, I, I don't think uh, we can say for sure we've seen the worst for the Apples and the Microsofts. No, but I know, but part of my point here was that when you were suggesting that they come for the generals, I mean, on, on June the 16th, Apple traded down to 129, mm. traded at 150 today. Mm. Right. I mean, these stocks mm. were the the last to get hit in that that portion of the downdraft in, in the market. The rally back. Yeah. Now, it may it's be nothing to hang your hat on because maybe they go down again, but they came for them once. Maybe they don't come for them again. Well, they report you're going to find out. Listen, uh, Tuesday, you get Netflix, so it's not going to be long before you start getting the, the feel for how we're reacting to large cap stock earnings. In, uh, yeah, I don't in, even in a week and that. a half, we're going to get all the fangs. And, I know. I don't, and, I don't count you know, like a Netflix, think, though, right? I mean, Netflix has its own issues. I, I don't even think that Netflix should necessarily be lumped in with those stocks anymore. Um, I, I really don't. Right. That, that it was in there for a okay. specific period of time for you know, whatever reason, but now that's decoupled itself, I think, from, from that group of, of stocks. I think it, it is now, it's just an Apple, micro, I don't even think necessarily that Facebook uh, is in that, that group. It, these are companies that have their own individual challenges 
that have brought their stock prices down. It's not like they came for the generals like Apple and Microsoft. They're going down for the same reasons that a Netflix or a Facebook were going down. Those were very individualized do you know what today's, stories. Do you know what today's rally, wait, wait. Do you know, do you know what today's rally is really about, honestly? It's two, it's two, it's two stocks. It's United Health, which is the largest weighting in the Dow. Just to remind our viewers, the Dow is not uh, structured the same way the S&P 500 is. It's weighted based on price of stock, which seems absurd, but it actually works out okay. We're gonna United get Health later. is the largest weight in the Dow. It's, it's, uh, it's 10% of the Dow. So they're having a huge day, great upside quarter. There is absolutely no read through for the rest of the market or the economy from UNH. Talk about a company with its own issues. They stand alone. That stock's having a huge day. That's why the Dow yeah. uh, opened up as big as it did and has held the gains. There ain't that much else going on. Uh, Goldman is the third largest weighting in the Dow. Also a good day with the bank rebound. Pull those out, and this is an unremarkable bounce today. Yeah, Brenda, I want to talk about some moves that you've made uh, before we take our first break here. You trimmed your commodities exposure. Uh, you can tell me about that. And you bought the Vanguard, Vanguard long-term treasury ETF, the VGLT. Talk to me. Yeah, so, you know, commodities have been an incredibly positive asset class for the last several years. We recognize that you know, prices, uh, if they were to continue to move exponentially higher, it would likely degrade demand just because of the economic harm that would happen. So we trimmed that position and bought a position in long-term treasuries. And this is the first time we've added to our bond allocation in the last three years. It's also the first time we have held long-term treasuries in over a decade. So our view with the yield curve is that long-term interest rates aren't likely to move much. We view this position as being more defensive. If we're wrong and the economy does get worse than we think it will be. I think this will be a great position in that it's very defensive. Long-term treasury prices are down about 20% this year. So I think it was an opportune moment to add some exposure and really, I don't want to say it's an insurance policy, but it's a bit of an insurance policy and something that should act well in a variety of environments. The only time it won't act well, we think, is if the economy really re-accelerates, which we don't think is like the outcome here. Yeah. All right. Coming up, we do have more on today's rally, including the big bank stocks are soaring, as Josh said, after earnings. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier. Because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion. Helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report.
That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Financial is the best performing sector today, led by Citigroup and Wells Fargo, Bank of New York. Uh, U.S. Bank Corp. all uh, higher today uh, on their earnings. Seachin, you got uh, JPM from yesterday. You do have Wells, right? Mm-hmm. We do. What about we, the banks here? So uh, we, we've moved to a uh, slight underweight. The banks, we still own the banks that we think are the most high quality. Unfortunately, they were the two that... <laughs> when did you move slight underweight? I mean, it's like uh, just by, underweight just, now? No, no, now? no, no. A, a little bit ago, we, we trimmed XLF in our macro model portfolios. But in our stock portfolios, we own Wells. We own JPM. We, uh, we sold Jefferies. So that was uh, the move that took us, took us underweight. But I think you can learn a lot from looking at these bank earnings, uh, everybody's building loan loss uh, reserves, right? So when you look at the underlying businesses, Citi did incredibly well with new card volumes up 18%, branded card revenues up 10%. So the consumer is spending on their credit cards. Mm -hmm. Wells had mortgage banking revenue down 80%. So what that tells you is small ticket items still intact, big ticket items faltering a little bit. And then JP Morgan with their capital markets exposure, they did have some good credit card information, but their capital markets exposure with banking down 32%, investment banking down 32%. That kind of gives you a flavor of what's happening outside of the core story, which is build these big reserves. So I think you got to be careful here with the banks and you got to know what you want to own. And we do. We still like JPM, still like Wells. Wells is a little bit of a turnaround story, too. So uh, maybe maybe two years old now, but still yeah. a little bit of a turnaround yeah. story. A long turnaround. Yeah. Right? It's a very, very big ocean but, liner. But, you got to turn around <laughs> in a very small channel. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But I, I got to tell you, I do think the metrics on the stock are really, really attractive. It trades at less than one times book. I mean, I don't think it's a value trap with the leadership that's in there right now. And I do think that the the economy at some point will get the support of the Fed. It just has to get worse before it gets better. Jason Snipe, BlackRock, PNC, uh, those are yours. Yep. Yeah, so I, I think as it relates to the banks, I mean, it's a good read through into the consumer. And if I, if I pick on BlackRock um, as an example, well, really not on the consumer, but just on the market. I mean, BlackRock's the largest asset manager in the world. And, you know, when markets are, are down, S&P down 20 percent, you know, I would suspect that BlackRock would fall there as well. But what's been what was positive? I mean, they missed on revenue. They missed on EPS. But I think what was positive of the report is inflows uh, were up. We're up this quarter. So I think, you know, as as we kind of move through this cycle and hopefully markets start to turn around, I think BlackRock could be a good one here. You know, as it relates to PNC, I've been focused on the loan growth. They've, they've had steady loan growth. It's up 18 percent year over year with the commercial side, 6 percent quarter over quarter. You know, so I so I think, you know, some of these regionals, which are very tethered to to rate movement, sensitive to rate movement, um, could fare fare a little bit better than some of the larger, larger folks in the space. Okay, Josh, I mean, I know from your comments yesterday that you are fairly negative on the banks. Um, By the way, uh, Mike Mayo, who you referred to yesterday as reverse green eggs and ham, uh, that he's always bullish on the banks, has reached out and he said, Josh Brown made his comment on me with the bank index under 100. Tell him, let's talk a year from now and we will see. Please forward to him 
if you think that is okay. Well, obviously, I think it's okay because <laughs> I just forwarded uh, that to you. He said he's happy to do a debate with you or a SmackDown, whatever we want to call it. Friendly, of course. So you want to respond to, to Mayo? Uh, I mean, I he is bullish over the longer term. I just want to say I cannot wait to see the prop that he brings on the air a year from tomorrow, <laughs> uh, yesterday, when we, we visit. Um, by the way, these stocks, uh, I, I don't think they're shorts, but I, look, if, if, you have the, if you have the mindset that all of a sudden the consumer that six months ago was flush with cash and now uh, is seeing from all of the banks a 17% increase in putting uh, expenses back on their credit cards, like that ain't a great 180. And you know, some of the things that are going onto their credit cards are like not uh, luxury items. It's like daily and monthly expenditures that they have to make. This is not bullish. It's not bullish. Um, and then the last thing I would say is, unlike the stock market, the housing market really is the real economy. And if you screw around with it too much or too quickly, um, you're going to produce an economic outcome you won't like, and the banks are going to feel it worse than anyone, faster than anyone, harder than anyone. And they have really halted um, the, the housing market, like o almost, almost like somebody flipped a switch. And mm -hmm. I guess it's yet another experiment by the Fed. Let's see what happens if we slam the brakes on the housing market and crank mortgage rates from 3% to 6% in a month. Let's see what that does for the economy. It's not going to be good. You know it. I know it. And I think the banks, unfortunately, are going to end up being very sensitive to that. That's why J.P. Morgan and Citi are uh, hiking the amount of money they're setting aside for losses. Because, baby, right. the losses are coming. All right. Uh, we'll arrange it with you and Mayo. You guys can just go mano a mano, and uh, we'll figure it out from there. I got you. Don't worry. All right, Spicy Josh, Mayo. speaking of. Yeah. He mentioned United Health earlier. It is the best stock in the Dow today on the back of those earnings. The street getting even more bullish on that sector. We've got the latest calls and the trades next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Good afternoon. I'm Dominic Hsu, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden is meeting with Saudi King Salman in Jeddah today. He will then meet with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and other officials to discuss energy supply, security cooperation and regional and global economic issues. When asked if Biden would raise the issue of the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, a spokesman said the president would engage, quote unquote, privately on the issue of human rights. An autopsy report finding Jalen Walker, the 25-year-old black man who was fatally shot by police in Akron, Ohio, had 46 gunshot wounds on his body. 26 bullets were removed from his body. His manner of death has been ruled a homicide, and the toxicology report showed no use of drugs or alcohol. The Walker family's legal team called the report results, quote-unquote, horrific and condemned police actions as, as a display of, quote-unquote, violent and unnecessary use of force. And the United Kingdom issuing a red extreme heat warning, with authorities saying temperatures could potentially hit 104 degrees Fahrenheit in the next week. A U.K. chief meteorologist saying, quote, exceptional, perhaps record-breaking temperatures are likely with a 50 percent chance we could see temperatures top 104 degrees. That's your CNBC News update at this hour. Scott, I'll send things back over to you folks. All right. Dom Chu, thanks so much for that. Healthcare, top performing sector in the S&P over the past month. The street continues to turn more bullish on that space as well. Feels like everybody likes it, Rob Seachin. Uh, RBC upgrades it today. I've had so many conversations, not only here, but in overtime. What mm-hmm. sectors do you like? Healthcare. What do you like? Healthcare. Mm-hmm. What sector is the best one to be in right now? Healthcare. Uh, is it too crowded now? Is there more upside ahead? You have it as your largest overweight as well? Yes. This is the classic shift to late cycle defensives as inflation peaks. And the other thing about healthcare is it's the cheapest of the defensive. Its trade is at 18 times versus utilities and staples, which are 21 times. So is it too crowded? Is it too expensive? Probably not. Probably not yet. Right. So we own a lot of the blue chips. We own Pfizer. We own Lilly. Our, one of the picks coming into the year was Regeneron, that you know, the top four picks. So it's healthcare and energy that we love. I, I think you can still own this sector. We also own UNH. So um, a lot of very high quality counter cyclical companies in this space. And if we're playing defense, which I think you probably know we are, yeah. um, that's the place to be. I think most people are trying to play defense. Uh, one of the least down S&P sectors this year, falling 8%. Jason Snipe, uh, Josh mentioned United Health that strength today. Uh, beat and raise at your stock. Yeah, UNH, man. I mean, it's really done well. So, you know, to your point, I mean, it's a revenue beat, EPS beat. Um, you know, they, they, uh, they beat on product, beat on premiums. I just think from a just a global perspective as it relates to healthcare. I mean, there's so many tailwinds here, primarily uh, demographic tailwinds and a tight labor market. You know, folks are just hitting the, hit, going to see their docs and doing their thing. So I, I like preventative uh, healthcare and, and, and I like UNH as a, as a main, as a mainstay in the space. So, you know, if, if you're late, as Rob said, late cycle defensive, I think healthcare is a good place to be in. And I don't think it's it's overloved. I know there's a lot of folks on the street that like it, but I think there's still room for the upside, you know, not just in, in the management companies, but also, you know, in, in yeah. pharmaceutical space as well. Bren, um, Abbott, uh, CVS, Johnson & Johnson, Stryker, Zoetis. Healthcare was your stock uh, summit sector pick at the beginning of the year. 
Yeah, and the sector has done remarkably well. And I'd say, you know, many of the stocks have significantly outperformed the broader market. But I think there are still opportunities, particularly within the sector. You know, the one name that we've recently added is Zoetis, um, this is pet health. And I'd say there's a lot of reasons to be um, excited here because uh, one in five households adopted a dog over the last couple of years. Um, pet health, you don't deal with the Medicares of the world, the insurance companies of the world. It's mostly a cash buyer. People tend to favor spending on their pets. So I think this is a name that's down about 28% a year. So I think there's still pockets of opportunity within the group, even though it has held up really well. But from a fundamental standpoint, we continue to really like it. Josh, I think it was, I don't know, maybe it was a couple of months ago at this point, uh, maybe not quite that long, that you declared biotech, I believe it was, a quote-unquote fat pitch. And I'm wondering whether you, whether you yeah. still believe that today or if uh, things have changed at all for you. No, I, I do believe that. And here's what's happened since the low on June 10th. Insight is up 13%. Moderna is up 25%. Regeneron is up 6%. Biotechni up 1%. Vertex up 14%. Those are S&P 500 biotech names that have had amazing recoveries just in the last, let's call it 32 or 33 days since they hit their low. And in fact, the whole XLV um, has staged quite a rally. It's up 8.5% off the June 17th low. Um, there are 91 stocks in the S&P 500 that are above their 200-day moving average, or what we would say are the only 91 stocks that are in an uptrend. And uh, 18 of those are healthcare. Uh, most of the rest are defensive sectors. But if you don't want to spend every day worried about monetary policy and economic growth and recession or not recession, these are supposed to be companies that are secular growers. They all raised a ton of money in 2020 and 2021 with uh, secondaries and IPOs. There's a lot of cash here and they're not economically sensitive. So I agree with most of the panel. If you wanted to be overweight something, this is probably a smart thing to pick. Okay, let's talk Netflix coming up, getting its price target cut ahead of earnings next week. We're going to debate that next. It's our call of the day. All right, let's talk Netflix now. Leading the Nasdaq 100 did get a price target cut ahead of earnings today. You see what the stock's doing right there, up nearly 6%. But, wow, UBS, uh, they go 198. That's from a prior 355. Subgrowth goes upside down is what they suggest. So, Josh Brown, you own this going into earnings. Now, let's just talk about this from where it was to where it is. It's awfully different to have a stock where it's trading now versus 700 where it was within the last 52 weeks. At 185, how do you assess this year going into the number next week? So I, I, if, I do not think that they're going to have a great quarter or have anything great to say about uh, you know, new subscribers. So nobody should be invested in this stock thinking that the, the decline that they've been seeing in the core business is fixed or over or fully priced in. However, um, there is a lot of skepticism in the technology community about their motives, like why all of a sudden ad supported, they're desperate. I don't really, I don't really see it that way, but 
Uh, I do think there's a huge opportunity here if they get it right. And when you talk to the people at big streaming companies that already have ad-supported tiers, um, you get a sense of what the potential here might be. So Netflix has 221 million paying subscribers, okay? And let's say like a very, very weak number, they can add uh, a million subs a quarter or something like that. And let's say a little bit less than half of those become ad-supported tier customers. And again, this product doesn't exist yet, but we think it happens before the end of this year. Um, you start off with, let's say, 400,000 uh, brand new subs who are advertising tier subs. And that's meaningful to build on. It's not gigantic. That's where the opportunity is. YouTube has 120 million people, just to give you an idea of how small that is. But that's what the goal would be. And there's a huge market there for Netflix to gradually, quarter after quarter, start to reach with ads. If you believe the stat that there are four or five Netflix users all using the same password, those shared password situations, well, that's great for advertising because that means that 220 million paying subs could really be something like a billion people that have their eyes on Netflix on a regular basis. So I think the ad-supported tier has a lot, uh, a lot of potential. And the last thing I'll say, people are scratching their heads. I don't understand Microsoft. What, what is Microsoft? Why is Microsoft involved? Microsoft is a very neutral, non-combative technology company that other technology companies like to partner with. They have what it takes to build something like this. And if you know anything about the history of Silicon Valley, then you know when Facebook in 2007 was preparing to really start to monetize what they had built, they went to Microsoft for help getting the ad business up and running. That's now arguably the greatest ad business in the history of the world. Microsoft was there in the early days. Remember, they took equity um, from Facebook in order to do that deal, and they made a lot of money. Netflix at a $70 billion market cap, could they have a bad report on Tuesday? Totally. Do you think 70 billion goes to 35 billion? I personally don't. I think a lot of the risk has already come out of the stock, and so I'm gonna mm -hmm. stick with it and see what happens. All right, highs of the day uh, right there for shares of Netflix. Earnings season, speaking of, gets into full swing next week. A quarter of the Dow, more than 60 S&P companies getting ready to report. We're going to set you up ahead of all of it next. Nearly a quarter of the Dow is set to report earnings next week, along with 64 S&P companies. Among the names, Tesla, American Express, Union Pacific as well. Brenda, I would love your take on Tesla. What do you think ahead of the, the numbers next week? Yeah, so with Tesla, I think it's going to be more of the same with what we saw in the first quarter. We've already seen that with the numbers they published. I think we're still going to see some ongoing disruptions in the same type of facility. And I think the key to the story lies in what's ahead, and that is increasing production time. They're awesome. We're having a little bit of trouble, obviously, as you can hear, Brenda. I'm sorry. We're, we're having trouble with your microphone. It's uh, coming in and out a little bit. Let me move to Jason Snipe as we try and get that figured out. Bank of America, Goldman, American Express, you have some pretty heavy, <clears throat> excuse me, financials exposure. Yeah, so I think as part of the conversation that we had earlier in terms of, you know, financials and looking through the read-through, so 
for Bank of America, just to read through for the consumer, I'm looking at loan growth. Let's see what happens there. You know, as it relates to Goldman Sachs, trading revenue, I think, is going to be important to me. We all know what's going on with underwriting corporate issuance. I mean, that, that's problematic for everyone. And then on American Express, you know, what's, what's going on with the business traveler? How, how's that revenue? What's, what's the card uh, revenue look like? And I think that, that's really what my focus is going into next week. Let's see how that all uh, unshakes. Okay. Union Pacific? Out, really. I'm sorry, uh, Seach, Union yep. Pacific, yep. Blackstone? We, we own it. Uh, Street expects uh, the numbers to be really strong. Obviously, when you have a weak environment, rails outperform uh, the truckers. And, uh, you know, we think it should be a really good number. They're the lowest cost provider. Um, and it's not an expensive stock. It's down at COVID levels 18 times. So, Brenda, I think we got the, the microphone figured out, thankfully. Um, why don't you just give us a quickie on, on Tesla for those who are, weren't able to hear the complete answer. So Quickie is not really going to be about Q2, but about what's to come in terms of being able to leverage the Austin Berlin facilities and have those become more profitable as production increases and supply chain disruptions easing in the second half of the year. All right. Appreciate that. We uh, will take a quick break straight ahead. We have a midday market check in with Mike Santoli. And tonight, don't miss a CNBC special report taking stock, the state of the markets. That's with Courtney Reagan tonight, 6 o'clock Eastern, right here on CNBC. Halftime's back right after this. Mike Santoli's here with, uh, with us on set. It's your midday word. I think we're, we've started calling it that. Of course, the last word comes in overtime. Uh, so what do we make it today? What's this about? I think uh, tension release, because if you came into this week, you're worried about imminent recession, you're worried about the Fed on tilt, looking to push expectations of ever more uh, rate hikes, and you're worried about inflation, maybe not, uh, earnings not quite being priced right in the market. You got some relief on all those fronts this morning. I think that's about as simple as it gets. A uh, little bit mechanical, options expiration day. We're hovering around this 38.50 number. That's the minus 20% threshold, by the way, from the all-time highs. And it fits together with uh, where you might be in an expiration. Just point out one other thing. Gasoline prices wholesale peaked June 9th. Two-year note yield peaked June 14th. Equities bottomed so far June 16th, 17th. So that tells you what matters to, to the market big picture. You buy this idea of what Rob Seachin said earlier, a Goldilocks kind of a retail number today? That's essentially what we got. Com- combined Goldilocks uh, in terms of the retail number, in terms of inflation expectations from University of Michigan, silly as it is to fixate on that. That's what the Fed told us we had to care about right now. So altogether, uh, I would just say it's at least not uh, not really uh, additional pressure points on all the raw nerves that we have. I hold your thought there. We do have some uh, tape playback now of the president meeting with the Saudi crown prince. Let's listen. Jamal Khashoggi, will you apologize to his family, sir? Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank President you. Biden is setting up the Thank you, guys. President Biden. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, those were uh, brief remarks, obviously, as you heard there from President Biden meeting today in Saudi Arabia with the Crown Prince, uh, MBS. 
Uh, Kayla Tausche, I'll bring you in here. Um, you did hear that question shouted there at the end by a reporter about uh, trying to get a comment uh, about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah, that was Peter Alexander from NBC News, who's serving as the pool reporter in the room there at the Royal Palace, where President Biden and his delegation are meeting with MBS and members of the Saudi royal family, asking if Mohammed bin Salman would be apologizing to the family of Jamal Khashoggi, whom U.S. intelligence suggests that MBS is behind or was behind the killing and dismembering of Jamal Khashoggi back in 2018 at the uh, in, in Istanbul at the Saudi consulate there. Uh, there was no comment from MBS. MBS when that question was shouted. And certainly there are going to be many issues on the table between the two countries as they discuss today. President Biden said that he always brings up human rights in situations like this. But when he was asked directly whether he would bring up Khashoggi's murder, he did not say specifically. He said that his views on that matter are abundantly clear. A little bit of news, Scott, on the flight uh, on Air Force One from uh, Jer Jerusalem to Jeddah today. Uh, the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said there would be no deliverable on a bilateral basis between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia on oil, that any increase in production would come from OPEC+. Plus. And so now we turn our attention to what, if anything, those Gulf oil producers can announce uh, later this weekend. Scott. All right. Yep. Kayla Tausch, appreciate the, uh, the update there uh, from you. Mid some questions as to whether there was going to be an official handshake uh, between the two men. Uh, there was not. There was a fist bump, as you may have seen uh, in the earlier broadcast uh, here on CNBC as well, when President Biden uh, did arrive. And in fact, that's the picture of it uh, right there. Uh, so the president seems to have avoided uh, controversial uh, handshake, which was uh, talked about uh, whether it would happen or not, at least on camera, it did not. Uh, apparently there. So we'll keep our eyes on that story, too. Uh, we have about 90 seconds left, uh, guys. You wanna, why don't you give me a final trade, Rob yeah, Seach, and while I have you still. KLA Corp, KLAC Symbol, semiconductor company. Semis have been behaving well lately, and it's, it's cheap relative and has tremendous margins. Okay. Brenda? Um, visa, um, increased international travel with U.S. dollar euro parity, as well as easing uh, restrictions, bodes well for this business where that had been, you know, a real lacking factor for the last several years. Josh Brown. Uh, ITA, this is the aerospace and defense ETF, the perfect sector for the era of fist bump diplomacy. Yeah, yeah. Jason Snipe. <laughs> I like Costco here. Sales were up 20% in June. Uh, traffic was up a little over 10%, trading at 36 times, which is a little expensive, but I'd like the name here. Okay. Uh, it's good to see everybody. Let me remind you what's coming up in uh, just a few hours uh, in overtime as well. I've got Tom Lee, as I mentioned to you at the top of our show today. Uh, Dan Ives is going to set the table as well uh, for tech. And then, of course, Mike Santoli is going to be back with his last word. Just get a last word, Mike, from you here. Uh, what you're watching between now and then. Uh, I'm just watching uh, the two-year note yield has basically been telling you what you need to know in the very short term. All right. I will see you in a few hours as well. I will, all, all of you. That does it for us. I will see you in overtime. The exchange back at our headquarters uh, Hi, begins Josh. right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.